Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, you're listening to Amber Love on Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website. Go to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked. It's super simple. And there are new milestones that have all been sort of reworked. So if we, uh, you know, get up to a certain per monthly fee, then there'll be things like short stories and stuff like that. So check out the milestones. Um, and if you haven't already, then you can also pick up my first mystery novel, Cardiac Arrest. It's uh, real easy to find links for that on amberonmass.com because I have it pinned. Um, so let's get rolling. My co-host is back. My part-time co-host, Joshua Neff, is here, and we're going to talk all about one of our favorite shows, Psych. Hello. Yes. Let's do this. We are so going to do this. And we even have an invisible co-host, J.K. <laughs> Woodward. Um, I know that it's one of J.K.'s favorite shows, so I messaged him, and I'm like, hey, he's in L.A. So I'm like, okay, scheduling three of us in three different time zones is going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So instead, I just emailed him and I was like, hey, send me your favorite psych things. So we're going to talk about favorite episodes and favorite quotes and stuff like that. So, uh, so Josh. Yes. Why is psych so meaningful to you? Um, oh, gosh. It's funny. Um, I actually, like, I, I knew about the show, but I had never watched it. And my daughter mentioned watching it. And I I put it in my Netflix queue, and then one day I was like, I'm going to watch Psych. And I watched, like, the first three episodes and thought it was way too cute for its own good and did not get into it and just stopped. And then a few months later said, I'm going to watch another episode and got hooked. And then just marathoned (laughs) straight through. Um, And I think... Part of it is, um, oh gosh, what, in, in some ways I can identify as someone with ADHD. I can identify with Sean uh, Spencer in terms of short attention span and being really excited about things and um, sort of always feeling like he's not going anywhere in terms of career. Um, but I also like the fact that the show really likes to point out that sometimes he's a a real asshole and it doesn't, he's not always the, you know, good natured slacker hero. Sometimes he really is um, kind of mooching off of everybody and the show addresses that at times, which I really like. Um, yeah, they they actually do address that quite a bit where, um, you know, Gus, who has to have the day job right. in pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, says, I don't need that much money a year. I need this much money, plus the other $16,000 is for you. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it actually sort of ends up being like Joey and Chandler on Friends. Yeah, if, very. If Joey was the jokey one and Chandler was actually responsible. Um, but also – just um, the the fact that I'm going to like totally jump ahead to the, the end of the show, but that the show is ultimately about the friendship between Sean and Gus more than it's about the sort of will they, won't they, they get together, they break up, they get back together. 
of him and Jules. And right. that you don't see a lot of TV that focuses on um, male friendships that are not bro. They're not. Yeah, these two are not competitive to each other. They're, you know, like you're, if you know the show, um, it was on USA Network, and Sean is kind of the screwball responsible one. But, um, you know, and he'll do things like forget that he left Gus somewhere. But there's an episode where Gus is uh, taken hostage in a bank. Right. And Sean, like, loses it and flips out. And, and he's like, that's that is actually, my best my, friend. That's one of my favorite episodes. Because yeah, great. Um, Sean is so like he loses all. There, there are a few episodes where Sean absolutely loses his screwballiness, um, and you see the both the determined man and the scared child that's underneath. Right. And it's and it's always about people he loves, like a girlfriend in jeopardy, his mother in jeopardy yeah. or Gus and Gus in jeopardy. Um, and that's and it and it it balances Sean because you know that he is such a, you know, a, a goofball. Right. Uh, so. Um, but the way that he and Gus are very they're they're so brotherly and there's like i don't know maybe there's slash fiction out there because there is for everything but i never i like totally never went there with these two right um and it just felt um because also if you know i can't imagine somebody would listen to this whole show and not have seen it but like gus is a black guy and sean is a white guy so occasionally that's brought up, especially when there's Gus's family involved and Sean says something like, I let you think Jesus was black. But <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, it, so the, it's just one of those things where I, ne- I never got like, you know, homoerotic subtext out of it. I think it's because neither of them are super macho bro guys that I think yep. that tends to actually that tends to be more homoerotic yeah there was probably nothing much to the dismay of a lot of frat boys um but um the the more macho stuff I think tends to be more latent homoerotic than um two guys who are comfortable enough in their masculinity to not be um, you know that that I mean there are some times when Sean like there's an episode in the first season where Sean gets mad at his dad for bathing and using like facial scrubs and stuff like that. Um, right. But and they pretend they do pretend to be gay in order to like get an apartment or right, something. Right. But like, but they also don't play it up. No. Like they don't they don't camp it up. Um. And, you know, actually, right. now that I think about it, I am going to, again, compare it to Joey and Chandler on Friends, that as much as Friends has a really, really uneven um, approach to uh, queerness, um, that the show really wanted to be progressive, but at the same time was very, very rooted in the early 90s. Um, but 
the friendship between Joey and Chandler and the fact that they hug each other a lot and that it's often Joey, the really macho one, who initiates the, like, bear hugging. Um, and that, again, their friendship is just really solid and really sweet and that they're very, very committed and devoted to each other in a very similar way that Sean and Gus are on psych and it and it it's not typical to see that i think it's more typical now um but i think maybe that's because of shows like that that sort of have broken down the whole you know punch each other in the arm well i i agree and the fact that um these weren't really macho guys like you didn't see them working out unless it was usually for a joke um you know uh but one of, some of the things that I like, first of all, was that it was an hour-long show on USA. USA puts out great shows. Um, but it was an hour-long comedy, which is pretty rare because they're usually relegated to half-hour sitcoms. Right. So I felt like I was getting a lot of bang for the buck. You know, it was um, – because I, I bought them on DVD, too. I loved the show so much mm-hmm. because this show has the best uh, commentary tracks. I really love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, from the other shows that I've listened to, they might do like, you know, maybe put one commentary track on with a director and like some random person and do like, you know, one per disc or something like that. Well, Psych does almost every single episode. They have commentary tracks and the the quality of them is really good. They have the actors involved and they have the writers because this this was a big writing staff and they're freaking geniuses. Mm -hmm. So... I felt like I even got to know more about them because of the commentary tracks and the show, you know, people, if you're following me on Twitter or Instagram, you've then seen the news that uh, I have named my new cat after Gus. (laughs) So that's how important the show is because I was like, I need a good detective name. And, um, you know, so I had thought that I was going to get a girl. So I had a, like three pages of girl names, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And so I, I got a boy and I'm like, ah, what do I do? I need to make a list. I need to make a new list now. And um, I remember so you I, emailed I, me and you were like, yeah. so I'm like, thinking of naming the cat something based on Burton Guster. What do you think of? And I think you had some other options. I did have a, and I was yeah, like, I had a oh, few. you got to go with Gus. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, I do remember that I, I messaged you a couple times about it. But what was – it seemed like it needed to fit because his name his, his name in the pound was Angus. And I wasn't particularly fond of Angus mm-hmm. um, because all I think of is the guy from ACDC. <laughs> that's, so, that's exactly where I went to. Yeah, so because we're old. Um, <laughs> so – I was like, all right, well, Angus is a cute, like, you know, Scottish name or whatever. I'm like, but that's not, I, I need, I need to have something that means something to me. So when I was, first of all, Burton Guster is notorious for having two or three aliases in every episode anyway. Right. So it's like coming up with names and changing names is something that really fits the Gus character to begin with. And 
I, you know, so I, I, along the lines of my big lists and whittling stuff down, I came up with Guster Naboo because Naboo is like an ancient Babylonian god of writing. Yes. And um, so Guster, I like because, you know, you just shorten it to Gus and that, and it was already Angus to begin with. So I'm like, it's familiar enough and kind of fits with his his own like little heritage from the pound. Right. Um, <laughs> well, and you know what? I just it just struck me that and this actually adds to some of the magic of your cat. Um, Nabu is also the name of the I think e- Egyptian Babylonian entity that gave Doctor Fate his powers in DC Comics back in the day oh. and that the helmet oh, awesome. the, the gold helm like face faceless helmet that dr fate wears is the helmet of naboo oh i i probably had that in the back of my head somewhere because they probably mentioned it in the cartoons yeah i think they did yeah um yeah that's really funny um so it comes out really well and ollie is joining me now hi ollie <laughs> who i've suggested should be called sean Yes, I I wish it was not too late to change his name. He was named after Green Arrow. Um, I did not get to name Ollie though. I did give him his middle name though, which my parents are like arguing about because I called him Oliver Winchester. <laughs> and um, after the after Sarah Winchester, because our house is always under construction and never is going to finish <laughs> ever. So, um, you know, has a good rifle connotation, connotation of, you know, I thought to make everybody happy, but, um, and, you know, I going back to you asking me why I like psych, um, just mentioning that, you know, your these two cats are named after Gus from psych and Ollie is an Oliver Queen, the green arrow. I love the sheer number of, of pop culture references in just one episode of Psych and oh, the yeah. series as a whole. I'm a big fan of that kind of. Um, they have tons. They have, and it's so funny because they do a very like 80s style. And obviously the Gus and Sean actors and characters are would more be like 90s right. generation. But they, they do like John Hughes references constantly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one, you know, one of my favorite episodes is the high school reunion episode. Love it. Um, Absolutely love Because it, yeah. of the sheer number of 80s and John Hughes specifically references, as well as Rachel Lee Cook being in it, who's so freaking cute, it should be illegal. That's true. And the guest stars, I'm glad that you brought it up. It's one of the greatest things about the show is the guest stars. And J.K.'s input, um, his number five pick is not even Close Encounters, right. which was season five episode three where they have star trek references and uh battlestar galactica references because of um the freddie prince jr character is a big old closet nerd and he he has a secret nerd cave and uh in there are all these actual not even replicas but things from sets that he spent tons of money on like real props from sets so he's got the Geordie LaForge glasses right. and, you know, the Adama's helmet and stuff well, like that. Well, J.K. mentions Charles Martin Smith being in it, who um, right. I mostly know of um, when I was little. I remember seeing the film uh, Never Cry Wolf, and he plays 
sort of the ersatz of the author of the, the book, since it's actually based on a true story. Um, and he was in American Graffiti. He's also in one of my favorite episodes of Leverage, which is the first episode of season two, um, the Beantown bailout job. Um, oh, right. And, yeah. yeah. Charles Martin Smith is great and is one of those character actors who I think is underused. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, the number of guest stars that they get. The guest stars were incredible. And um, so so one of the, the other things that J.K. pointed out in the Not Even Close Encounters is that Lassiter dances around and, and like, gets happy about something because he's right, I guess. Um, which is usually, usually like Lassiter is always <laughs> sort of like <laughs> Such a straight lead. raw. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so he abuses Henry Spencer a little bit and that's, that's fun. Cause I actually like when Lassiter and Henry team up. Yeah. That was always, you know, cause they were, they were like two straight laced guys. So they were clashing instead. Um, but JK also mentioned the ear flicking between Sean and Gus. And that brings us back to that whole kind of relationship where it was really brotherly, like, you know, the, the don't touch me, you're touching me kind of wow. a thing. And, and yet when they're, when they're successful, they fist bump. Yeah. You know, so the ear flicking. Well, and even important. like, you know, some, although they lose this later as the show goes on, but um, beginning each episode with a flashback to when they're kids, little kids, Elementary that was school one of the, the most 80s. unique things. Um, yeah. And that, you know, at probably in half the flashbacks, Gus is there and, um, you know, Sean's dad, Henry, is, is essentially acting like a dad for both of them. Um, and even as little kids, you know, it's, they have a very brotherly relationship in all, right. all the best and worst ways. <laughs> And that, but that's those flashbacks are um, is something that really was unique to it. It's like when when Seinfeld broke out, it was you know part of it was the format of the show. He had these segments of stand up, you know, that would right. introduce the show and then on breaks and stuff, and then you'd have the actual show. And Psych did this really clever thing where it showed them going back to either like 1985 or 86 or 87. And in the early episodes, the Sean, little Sean, would be a different actor, but Gus was the same. And they had actually considered having a different actor each time because they would they would age him. They would they were right. thinking of doing different different ages, but instead they they uh, the creators decided to stick with these couple of kids and sort of just step through with them. So it became regular for one season to always go back to 1985 and one right. to always go back to 1986. And then the Liam James was one of the kids. And now I'm blanking on the second one's name, but little Sean was then played by another kid for almost an entire season. Mm -hmm. um, but they were, they were great. Yeah. And they were, they were completely different than, than the younger Sean from the pilot episode. Right. But it also gives it, it gives a lot of insight. Um, one one of the things about the show that I love, but also I think I, I had kind of a complicated relationship with my dad, um, and my dad could both be um, apparently very supportive um, and caring, but at the same time, 
instill these sort of life lessons um, that were all sort of based around life is hard and um, you need to be able to cope with it and write, I'm going to tell you right now that you can't. Um, and that can be really, for a little kid, that's pretty discouraging. Um, and so I both sort of love and get frustrated by um, Henry Spencer and the way that he treats Sean. But then you get epi- um, another one of my favorite episodes, Sean Takes a Shot in the Dark. Right, where Henry, where Henry really is cool. just absolutely dead, like nothing better happened to my son. And right. it's, it's very much he's always like, He's always the tough love guy. Right, but, but oh. when, when it really comes down to it, he loves his son and he, he doesn't know how to express it a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And I think they sort of make it clear that he's of a generation that wasn't very emotionally expressive. Um, but yeah, well, and also that's another episode that you get to see that Sean's not just jokey. He's actually really, really smart. Um, yeah. And I think that that's sort of, it, it would be hard if the show was just always full on comedy um, every hour, every episode it'd be hard to really take the character of Sean seriously um, because he has the whole Sherlock scan and because he plays up his fake psychic abilities so melodramatically. It would be hard to take him really seriously as a person, as a legitimate mystery character. Um, But having the episodes that then get serious and show that um, when he put, even when he puts the jokings aside, he can still do this. Um, I think just sort of strengthens the show as a whole and strengthens the character of Sean. Well, I want to run through uh, JK's picks, and if they happen to be the same as yours, okay. Um, I think let's see. No, okay. His, I know there one were a his... couple that that are. Yeah, I was going to say one of his was one of my like alternates because, of course, I had to make a long list and then break it down to a short <laughs> list. Of course. Um, so his number four pick is Sean 2.0, season five, episode nine. And again, guest stars are amazing. Um, Nestor Carbonell, who uh, J.K. points out was actually what I knew him from, too, was fr- Batman well on the, the – right. The Tick, the very short-lived The Tick, but also uh, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears making guest appearances as himself was yes. freaking amazing and hilarious, and I was surprised because when you see J.K., he looks like this sort of like punk rock guy, mm-hmm. and it's so funny to hear that he loves Elton John and he loves Tears for Fears, and, and you know, like David Bowie was like devastating to him. Mm-hmm. So I love that he actually, you know, was into the Kurt Smith appearances. And he says that he wishes he could also own a rock star like, you know, Nestor Carbonell did in in this episode. (laughs) So he wants to know, he has a question for you and I, if we could enslave a rock star, who would it be and why? His answer is Iggy Pop because he's like nuts. He thinks it'd be entertaining. And I imagine that's true. I bet he's a, he's a cool guy to hang with. Um, and he loves to watch his cat flip out for no reason. Apparently he thinks that Iggy Pop has that reaction with his cat. I actually yeah. saw an, uh, like a short interview with Iggy Pop, I think a couple of years ago. And the interviewer asked him, you know, you're in amazing shape for your age. Like, you know, you've got a you've got a six pack, and you, you're you know you're thin and you're wiry, but you've got these muscles. How do you do it? 
And Iggy was like, you know, well, all my years of dancing and do you exercise? And he goes, and I have a lot of sex, a lot of sex. <laughs> it's like, all right, go Iggy. Um, so yeah, I think if you had, if you had Iggy Pop as your sort of enslaved rock star, um, it would be a party. Gosh, I don't yeah. know who, who I know. It's like, I'm trying to think, I'm like, who would I pick? Would I pick somebody that, you know, was reminiscent of my youth that meant a lot like Stevie Nicks? Like, could I, own, <laughs> could I please own Stevie Nicks and like make her be my best friend? Right. Um, I almost kind of want to say because i mentioned this to you recently i would want to be enslaved by enya because oh yes live in her castle live in her castle with all her cats and just like do you need a cookie (laughs) something like you've you've been in the studio all day i'll I'll, I'll get you some tea (laughs) yeah let me make you a cup of tea it's chilly uh, do you need a cloak right now (laughs) um so yeah i would i would i would be willing to be enya's kept man um but if I had, um, yeah, I am sort of tempted to go with like, like just like I want to say like Robert Smith or something, um, even though I don't. Well, he reads a lot, so you know we could talk about books and existentialism. <laughs> All right, so JK's number three pick is Let's Do Wop Again, and I love it for the same reasons that he does. Uh, he's like, Steve Urkel, this episode has Jaleel White, and it's the first time, you know, that you know, we've seen him not being Urkel. Yeah. When I personally watched it, I did not realize that was Urkel. I'm like, I just thought it was like, you know, this hot black guy. What did I know? Right. You know? And um, because I didn't watch whatever the heck that show was with Urkel. <laughs> So, um, but he's like, if that's not enough, we have a very amusing piece of Gus's past come into focus. And he loves that it was a doo-wop group, which was fantastic that they did write that in. Yeah. Because um, obviously Dulé Hill is very talented, yeah. uh, you know, dancing and singing and he does Broadway and stuff like that. So he's like, they took it seriously. I love that there's this little piece of drama and things left unresolved which apparently happens in the high stakes game that is doo-wop and, you know, like bands break up, boy bands break up and all that. Um, Most of all, I love that it's a secret dream of Sean's to be in a doo-wop group. And he auditions throughout the entire episode, very inappropriately. And um, like, you know, renames the band and stuff like that. (laughs) So he loves it that it's a secret, silly dream. And he says his most memorable uh, laugh from Futurama was also when learning that Bender secretly wanted to be a folk singer. So his question is, you know, what is our secret silly dream? His answer is that he always wanted to be the weird breakout character from an 80s sitcom, something that would get his face on a lunchbox. So he wanted to be Urkel. He wanted to be somebody (laughs) like Urkel. When it's interesting because I, I have a feeling that JK's art is probably on lunchboxes, but that's not the same as his own face being right. on a lunchbox. Um, or, or maybe he could be Skippy from Family Ties. Oh, gosh. Who yeah. actually was played by Mark Price, who, who, although I haven't heard anything that's going on with him in years, but he went on to become a, a really funny stand up comic. Uh, okay. But so. you don't want to end up like Dustin Diamond. Oh, God, no. I met him. Did you? Um, when it's I the was, weird story. We need to di- We need yeah, to digress. We have to digress. We have to talk about when I was um, in library school, 
in Milwaukee and working at a Borders Books. Um, Dustin Diamond came in. He was living in Milwaukee at the time. I think he was actually trying to get into stand-up. He was trying to build up a stand-up routine. Um, and then instead decided to go for the sex tape, assault people, stab someone, path to fame. Um, but he in came bankruptcy. in and he was looking for DVDs of the Honeymooners. And so I ordered some for him and then something I actually like convinced him to buy a DVD. I don't remember what it was, but he was he was honestly he was really nice and he didn't make a big deal about who he was. Um, I don't think he even mentioned who he was. And at one point, something came up about the I don't know if you remember the the video games that I think Don Bluth Studios did uh, Dragon. Dragon's Lair? Dragon, yeah, and Space Ace. And something came up, like, he mentioned those, and I said something about it, and he was really excited that I knew what he was talking about. And we were sort of, had this, like, geeking out moment between the two of us. And so it, it was actually, I was really sad to then see him become so gross and violent, because yeah. he seemed really, he honestly seemed really nice. Um, yeah. And we we hear those things all the time, like um, Edward Furlong and right. Nicholas Brendan. I mean, you know, like sometimes they just go off the rails. Right. Well, and in fact, actually, at my very first day working there, um, Ted Nugent was oh god did a signing for his Kill It and Grill It cookbook, and uh-huh. he was his the the um, his handler was super uptight and insisted that he had to have these kinds of pens and that. Ted would only sign copies of his of his cookbooks. He wouldn't sign anything else. And in fact, Ted Nugent was incredibly nice and generous to everyone in the store. Um, when when it we like ran out of the pens that he needed, he said he didn't care. He'd use whatever. He signed everything that fans brought in, including an old Amboy Dukes um, like seven inch single. Um, someone brought in an animal skull. The only thing he wouldn't sign was someone asked, would you come back to the parking lot and sign my car? And Ted was oh. like, nope. But he, he was honestly really nice. Um, okay. It just turns out that he's also an incredible um, misogynist, pedophile, racist. <laughs> yeah, that um, sums it up. But in but in public, he apparently presented himself well. Right. I mean, at least, yeah. I mean, and I actually sort of appreciate, um, like, even if someone's a complete reprehensible asshole, if they're, I mean, that is kind of a like I've had friends who seemed nice most of the time and had like their politics agreed with mine, and you know we agreed on a lot of the same pop culture and art stuff, but they were assholes to like wait staff. Uh, yeah, that's tough. And you know, uh, I'd actually almost rather you be like a neo-Nazi who's ge- a generous tipper and nice to like the waitstaff that you meet, regardless of who they are, than be an ardent socialist who's a complete fuckwad. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, there's extremes. So yeah, there's so there's the extremes. there's the digression for to Dustin Diamond and Ted Nugent. Yes. I think that my secret silly dream, though, I'm still working on in a way, you know, my secret silly dream of being a writer, my like fantastical version of that would be like a TV writer in a, a writer's room like Psych or Castle mm-hmm. or Monk. 
um, which Monk was actually written in New Jersey. And when I found out, I was like, how do I get that job? Right. Uh, because I don't know Hollywood people. I don't have an agent or anything like that. So, uh, so yeah, my, my fantastical version would probably be something like TV writer. I don't have the talent to be a singer, but that would be an awesome skill to either be in, in music somehow, like as a, you know, because you, it, because it's always cool to be the person with the, the guitar who can sing. Yeah. Like, that's I, I mean, I would say I'm like right there with you a hundred percent. Um, the one thing that sort of bums me about writing is it's such a solitary practice most of the time. And in other work that I've done, I really love collaboration. And so I thought, like, wow, it would be really great to sort of be on the staff of, a, of like, a TV show. And everybody's kind of pitching ideas. And, like, you'll go off and write your thing, but you're still working with other people. Um, and, and honestly, just from the stuff that some friends of mine and I talk about, I really should be writing for The Flash. Um, Greg Berlanti, if you ever hear this podcast, um, I should totally be ready for The Flash. Um, and and also, singer in a band was always something that I wanted to do. And yeah, my my singing voice, well, I always wanted to be the singer in a post-punk band. And I would say I totally have the voice to be a singer in a post-punk band. I absolutely don't have the voice to be in a doo-wop group or in a metal band. Or... I don't have the voice for doo-wop, but it's what I grew up kind of with. Um, I wanted to be a Supreme Oh, that's so New Jersey. <laughs> it, it is. I, yeah, I, I have the hair, the big giant hair. It could it could be a whopping beehive. It really could. Um, oh, my Guster is here. Oh, hey, Gus. Hi, Gus. Hello, baby boy. He says hi. He's stretching, doing his Gus yoga. <laughs> um, oh, I, I do want, uh, I don't know why, because I guess I'm, I don't know, morbid. I've al- always thought about my funeral plans and stuff like that uh-huh. and I would like a doo-wop band at my memorial you know like Irish wake party kind of a thing right. um, I would like bands so like a doo-wop band maybe Kirby Crackle or you know something like that and then Sarah Donner like get a nice lineup of good music and stuff for, for when that happens I, I definitely approve of um, celebratory funerals yeah yeah I think it's important um, so that's where we wrap up with Let's Do Up again. And they do a couple of episodes with the Do Up and Gus, which is fantastic. So I think that it was, that it is great when they, y- you get to know Gus and his family and his college friends. Cause he, he a, very much throughout the show, Gus feels like a sidekick, but there are certain episodes where Gus actually is the star. There's right. one where, um, there's a couple where you actually go into Gus's day to, day yes. job. So, uh, like, looking for ghosts or, you know, when his manager gets killed. Right. And stuff. So there's a few Which that are very good. the best, but, like, some of the best physical comedy is the episode where his boss yes. gets killed. Yes. Um, so JK's number two is one of my alternate picks. Uh, Viagra Falls from season five, episode six. And he, you know, the title alone is fantastic because they did have fun with their title. Yep. Guest stars William Devane and Carl, Carl Weathers. Weathers, who is also phenomenal on Arrested Development, playing himself. Yeah, as a Vucci actor, an, an acting teacher. Yes. Yeah. 
So, uh, so JK flipped out about that. They, you know, it's where the guys were very popular in the eighties, just like, you know, Hawaii five Oh and Knott's landing. And of course, Rocky and predator. So uh, he was like sort of flipped out when he couldn't believe it and saw them on the screen. And uh, so he loved seeing them in this comedic role because they were like older versions of Sean and Gus. Right. It was, you know, even though they were more straight laced and followed protocol and stuff like that, but they were very observant and real sticklers for things and always had to be right. But uh, other things, because of the generation gap, they did things like treat Juliet like she was secretary and ask her to fetch coffee or dry cleaning and how sexist they were. So, uh, but at the same time, the the characters Peters and Boone were always beating Sean and Gus to the clues. Right. And and they had to then beat the cops. They had to like quick rush out of where whatever they had broken into and get out before before the real police showed up. So he he just loved that that it was sort of like the old guys giving the young guys a little run for their money. And so that actually make, reminds me of um, I was talking with a friend the other day about um, you know sometimes you'll watch a TV show or you'll a movie. And there will be an actor or a couple of actors that you're just like, oh, my God, these people are terrible. And then you see them in something else with with the right director. They're so much better. And That's how I feel about Natalie Portman. I, and and I, that's what, like, I, I've really started to think that it, a lot of actors that I think are bad are not really bad actors. They just have bad directors. And in fact, I use George Lucas as an example of, you know, he could put Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor in a movie and they suck. And how, how do you do that with those two? Like, that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, But also like watching, you know, Richard Hatch in the seventies, Battlestar Galactica, and then watching him in the reboot. And he's, and you're like, wow, he's, He's really good. I didn't. I didn't realize like they they just didn't play it that way back in the seventies. And and now that you know, and it's the same with like you might watch Predator and you're like, oh, Carl Weathers, whatever. And and then you'll watch the you know Viagra Falls on Psycho. And they're they're oh. good, funny. They're oh. so good when they're funny. Yeah. yeah. I think, and that's another thing too is I think if you let actors who don't who who rarely get a chance to do comedy and you let them do comedy. And they just have a ball with it. Um, That's why that was when I got a ton of respect for Rebecca Romaine. It sounds ridiculous, but I just thought of her as, okay, she's pretty and she can be naked in painted blue and, you know, deliver a few lines here and there. And it's not that she wasn't a great mystique. She really was. But when she had a show that did not last very long called Pepper Dennis and she was so goddamn funny and I loved it. She was a reporter and there was, it was, I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, she can actually act. Yep. <laughs> and from then of course, you know, she went into other things like um, that. What was it like? They were private detectives or. Well, and, then, and the librarians. Katie Maxwell, the librarians. Yeah. So it was Which like, again, when... lets her do anything from like subtle comedy to broad comedy to, you know, drama. Um, and, and you can see that again, like she's having fun with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny that, 
um, I, I think with the right director, the the wrong director. Good writers, say, and like I like yeah. I said, Psych had the most amazing writers. Yeah. If you've got um, good writers and and good directors, you can get amazing performances out of people that right. you know you watch them in other stuff and you're like, oh wow, they're really bad. And speaking of Sykes directors, though, they had uh, a lot of times they had Mel Damsky and John Landis. Uh, sometimes I didn't like Mel Damsky's directing because he was one of the ones that was really fond of the spinny camera mm-hmm. where you get the people in a circle and then you spin and spin and spin as everybody talks and right. nauseate. Um, but he had, I, I think, uh, uh, like Joanna Kearns or somebody, right. like, you know, all people that I knew of as actors from things like Jonathan Frakes is the director. And, yeah. Um, uh, I want to say Tim, not Timothy Hutton. Um, oh, I did. I, you're, you're right, though. I, I did see. I remember seeing Joanna Kern's um, name as director. Was was really happy. It makes me really happy. Well, one um, to have to be hiring women directors. Um, and again, yeah, this it was is, pretty rare. This is something that you and I have talked about before of of TV being more progressive than Hollywood. Um, and definitely in terms of hiring women writers and women directors, TV is kicking Hollywood's ass. Um, but especially when you see, like, women that were in um, 80s and 90s sitcoms, um, and it's they, and again, it's like they know the craft, they know what they're doing. Maybe they weren't great on that sitcom, but that's because the sitcom had shitty writing. Um, but you put them behind the camera and they get really good performances and um, it's it's really great to see yeah I I, I love that they had uh, very quality directors and it seems like they um, you could tell that it was a formula obviously you need to stick with what the network wants right. um, but there was, oh, you could tell that something, you know, would be a little bit different sometimes in the editing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they they would turn to like handheld shaky cam. Um, you know, it wasn't done too often, thank goodness, because I really can't stand that. But um, you know, they they did really specific things like, oh, well, we, you know, we did it this way this time because he felt like it really showed when the character was feeling anxious or something right. like that. So I thought that was cool. So anyway, so before we run out of time, yeah. JK's uh, number one favorite episode is Dual Spires. Also from Hell Five. Yes. It was the Twin Peaks thing. That was also the other thing that Psych did was they did a lot of homages to pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, so this was an homage to Twin Peaks. So I didn't really get into that episode because I never watched that show. But they had uh, like actors that were actually from there. Yeah. Um, and Ray Wise, I, you know, who's amazing and everything he does. Right. Um, and then there was like, you know, random, like silly things, like a character named Andrew Jackson. So his son's name was Randy Jackson. Right. And then there was like an Everwood remark, you know, like there was nothing else, nothing pop culture in that town because it was supposed to be like this backwater town that didn't have any technology. And Sean's like, what else did they do here but watch Everwood or something? Right. Um, yeah, but, I, and I, I did like I was a big Twin Peaks fan when it was on, um, and so I loved it. like J.K. has a bunch of quotes, but one of the the ones that I remember was somebody going up to Gus and saying, "Are you Frederick Douglass?" 
<laughs> well, I I I, I made an, a a note um, on my list that that above and beyond just all the Twin Peaks stuff was that Sherilyn Fenn, um, who on Twin Peaks played the character Audrey Horn, who was she was my big like object of of love and lust um, when the show was on. To have Sherilyn Fenn playing the hot librarian was like <laughs> absolute perfection for me. <laughs> yeah, she really was cute in that in that episode. Um, it was like they went, well, let's see, how could we make Josh happy? He's a librarian. He watched a lot of Twin Peaks. Sherilyn Fenn was his favorite on the show. I know. Yes. Josh did not regularly buy Playboy, but he bought the issue that Sherilyn Fenn was in. Um, but- let's have her play the hot librarian. So. So was Jules Spires then on your list? Yeah, it Facebook? was. It was on my list. Um, okay. And, and so, yeah, obviously season five was JK's favorite season, uh-huh. which is funny because most of mine came from season two. Oh, that's funny. So it seems like, like we sort of gravitated to a particular moment. Um, yeah, did, didn't you didn't you have Lights, Camera, Omicidio? I did. Because I had that one, too. I did. That's my number three pick. Um, not that they're in any particular order, but... Um, Lights, Camera, Homicido is uh, where they Sean manages to find his way onto a telenovela set and actually gets cast in order to be able to have access to the actors in the set right. and solve the murder. I, I love that. Episode it, it was just hilarious. It's such a it's such a um, Santa Barbara is the Springfield kind of thing that like a telenovela would be filled in Santa Barbara. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they make Santa Barbara basically LA. Right. Like they always, they, which is funny because it's filmed in Vancouver. Right. Um, yes. But I, I grew up watching soaps, so the you know telenovela thing. Even though I, I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't grow up watching those soaps. But it's exactly the same, mm-hmm. you know, like these really ludicrous, uh, the mansions and the characters are all sleeping with each other and pregnant by each other. And then they die and they come back to life. And, um, you know, how dramatic the, the divas are behind, you know, behind the scenes. They're really, uh, you know, like treat people like crap and stuff like that. And so, the bonus that James Roday's real name is James Rodriguez. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, they play up like, uh, his, his fake Spanishness. Yes. As, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, let's see, also on my list was, I ha- well, we talked about the breakup episode, which was the finale. Yep. I think it was one of the best finales uh, of TV. Um, but the devil is in the details in the upstairs bedroom. Speaking of Ray Wise, who appeared in the Jewel Spires, I loved that there was an exorcist uh, type of episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I mean, I've never seen the exorcist. I don't watch scary stuff. But. I, I just, I loved Ray Wise. I loved him in, was he Reaper? He was the devil. Right, yes. Um, I just think he's charismatic. There's something about him. And he was, so he was this priest and gets called in to do an exorcism. And I just thought he nailed it, absolutely he nailed it. this way of playing stuff over the top with, but in a way that, like a sincere way. Like he, he hams it up, but in a way that you buy it. Like it, it, it's, it's totally sort of like fake. the guys, the guys who are always cast as like FBI agents or cops. Right. Like they just, they just sort of fit in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. 
Um, and again, it's filled with references. Like they make a run Lola run right. reference. I'm like, wow, somebody else watched that movie. All right. High five. Um, and not only that, but then the star of that movie, Franca Potant ha- uh, as a guest star in a different episode. Mm-hmm. So um, great soundtrack, by the way, if you're into electronica stuff. Um, so let's see. So then also on my list is from season two, which uh, we talked about lights, camera, homicida was season two. Meat is murder, but murder is also murder. So and that's not only because I'm vegetarian, <laughs> but I that was probably the main reason. Um you know, like the they're trying to figure out who kills a food critic. Right. So I I love that Sean is not vegetarian, but he gets mad on their behalf. Like somebody secretly puts beef broth into uh, French fries or something like that, or into the veggie burgers. Right. And he's like, he's like, why are we trying to get this guy off of these charges again? Right. <laughs> Um, and I and I I do sympathize with that because I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm very defensive of. I, I was actually a vegetarian for about two years, um, and found the attitude that vegetarians have to deal with so aggravating that I'm super defensive of people who are vegetarian and vegan. Um, we get made fun of a lot. We really do. Yeah. Well, and yeah. and and, you, and there is stuff where like. Um, you know, people will like, well, if I just slip chicken broth in it, no, no, that's not okay. Right, right. Well, there's no meat. It's like, it's liquid right. meat. Like, but, do you not and, and the fact that, that um, you know, vegetarians and vegans can't eat what, what omnivores eat, but omnivores can eat whatever vegetarians and vegans eat. So if you're going to get pissy about, well, there's no meat there, you know what, dude, get over it. You can go out and have a steak later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, stop on your way home. Right. Um, but, again, guest star that really stood out, John Amos, was the guest star on The oh, Meat God. is Murder, but Murder is also Murder, mm-hmm. as Gus's uncle, that Gus is named after, Uncle Burton Guster. Yeah. So, and, yeah, that's a big one. For hilarious. Me. I love John Amos. All he did was talk about the other detective shows that he has memorized, just like I do. Like, you and I have, have Psych and Castle and Leverage memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, so Uncle Burton has, you know, talks about, you know, diagnosis murder. And, uh, and he's like, well, a diagnosis murder, they would do this and they would have it solved. And um, so I, I thought his character was great. Yeah. And especially because then, you know, Gus – and Sean, um, the the whole point of it that they're trying to impress Uncle Burton is because accidentally uh, Gus's side of the family believed that Gus was the psychic detective right. and that Sean was the assistant. So they had to somehow go into each scene and discover things where Sean was actually observing and then he'd sort of like pass the information right. to Gus who would pretend to have the vision. Well, at the same and, time, they can't. Yeah. Let the police think. But they can't let the police think that it's Gus. And they can't, or that Sean's not really psychic because, you know, for those who haven't seen the show, the whole reason why Sean doesn't is because in the in the pilot, if they knew that he had observed, he, he was under suspicion that he was a, and so the way that he um, stops being a suspect in this crime is by claiming that he's psychic and, and 
using his incredible powers of observation as if he's a psychic, and he has to keep the, the charade up. Um, and so, yeah, it's that whole thing of, like, trying to juggle. Right. The, it, juggling was, is a perfect description of, of Sean and Gus goofing around in that one. Um, so my number one favorite episode, and really is hard picking an all-time favorite, but it also came from season two, the first episode, American Duo, mm-hmm. starring Tim Curry. Yes. Gina Gershon, Christian De La Fuente, who only had a few lines, but he actually was a star. Um, but, oh, my God, Gina Gershon and Tim Curry. Yes. It was to die for. So it's basically set up as a complete parody of American Idol, and she is the Paula Abdul-type character, and he is the bitchy British guy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was, again, Tears for Fears references. Yeah. Like, Sean dresses up as Roland for Tears yeah. for Fears. Even the little kids. Like, they had the little kid versions of them dressed as Michael Jackson and and, and Roland from Tears right. for Fears. And then at the end of the show, grown-up Sean and Gus get to j- dress up and sing. So, yes. um it, it was just hilarious. It's just And there's so many episodes. Like I said, my list is very, very long. Yeah, I actually, I'm looking at my list, and it's it's pretty long. Um, you know, the Jaws episode, the Shabby episode, Shabby the, the Seal was uh, a good one, too. Um, and, of course, there was a Clue homage. Right. Um, so what were some of yours that maybe um, we didn't touch? I actually, I wanted to talk about, since, again, we're talking about great guest stars um, and the whole obsession with the 80s, um, the Mr. Yang, Mr. Yin trilogy, um, because Ali Sheedy's in it, and I love Ali Sheedy. Yeah, let's see. They've had Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald. They had uh, Michael Anthony Michael Hall yes. and Judd Nelson. Yep. And Judd have all been on the show. Yep. Um, and um, and again, because those episodes were so different from the rest of the series, um, they're not just more because they're dealing with a serial killer. They were very creepy. They're super, they were like they're they're super for, creepy and they're super surreal. Um, you know, I mean, like I always watched Psych because it was really lighthearted, and honestly, that's why I skipped the Yin and Yang episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm like, this is my detox show, like Parks and Rec. This right. is my show that I put on when I need to, um, I, like I'm too deep down in the dark funk of you know what I'm talking about. Right. So it's like I when I need to not think about reality and crap, I put on things like Parks and Rec and Psych. So I would, I would always end up skipping. Yeah. I mean, and I totally get that. And, and even more than like dual spires, I, I feel like the yin and yang episodes are very David Lynchian in being surreal. They did a whole Hitchcock episode. Uh, right, yeah. One of them is, and that's part of it is, is like references to, to other filmmakers and film and just the whole surreal creepiness is such a David Lynch thing. Uh, Although I, I, I do also love, though, um, Jimmy Simpson was a guest star on that. He was Mary. Yes. So he was my favorite thing about those episodes. Yep. Even though like Ali Sheedy was in there and... Um, Peter Weller. Peter Weller, Sybil Shepherd. I love yep. Sybil Shepherd. Um, so yeah, great guest stars. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, I've got some other ones too, but I think the, I think we pretty much covered um, that, you know, the, the ones with a lot of the pop culture references, the ones with great, the ones with great uh, guest stars, and for me, the ones where things get a little more intense, um, just because it, it, I think it, it balances and it actually makes the comedy stronger. Um, as I said, uh, JK sent me a lot of his favorite quotes, so that stuff will be in the show notes. I did have a favorite quote. I, I don't know. I can't even remember which episode it came from because I was just marathoning them again. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all a blur. But <laughs> Sean is, like, cracking up and losing it a bit. He's like, just because you put syrup on something, don't make it pancake. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they were hungover or something. And I'm like, I think it might have been like the a Gus centric episode. That and actually reminds me of um, if I can digress one more time. Um, sure. When I was my very first uh, library job, actually was when I was an undergrad in college, working at the checkout desk at my university library, and I had I become friends with uh, one of the people that worked. At, at the time, the circulation department was down in the basement, and I'd become friends with one of the librarians down there who was in charge of the bound, bound periodicals, like the storage periodicals. So we're talking really old, like 19th century magazines. And we had this um, sort of regular, there was this crazy guy who would come to our library who apparently traveled all around eastern Iowa and western Illinois hitting libraries um, to do research on all kinds of whatever, like it was related to his delusions. Um, and he could usually be really nice. He got banned from the library for a while because he snapped at some at a library employee that he was frustrated with and made a comment about shooting them. And that was not cool. But at one point, um, just like it was like 10 minutes to five and everything in circulation got off work at five o'clock and he comes down with a list. He loved to read 19th century chemistry journals and he comes down with a list of issues that he wanted out of storage. And my friend looked at the list and looked at the clock and she said, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And he laughed and he said, I know when you've been making love all day, sometimes you just don't want to cook dinner. <laughs> and she went, she told me, she's like, that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. I will never forget that as long as I live. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, just because you put syrup on something. Just don't make pancakes. Yeah. But again, it was, it, this was such a brilliant show. The 80s references, the guest stars. Again, another one of my favorite guest stars was Glenn he- Headley. She was, um, on and French Stewart, they were on the episode uh, where the the French Stewart character Whip Chatterley owns a mystery bookstore. Yes, and she's brought in as a as a like guest coroner because they think there's something was wrong in, in an autopsy. So it was that was a very creepy episode. That one to mm-hmm. me felt very tense, um, but. The guest stars were phenomenal. The writing, it's so quotable. So a lot of times I'll want to quote something, like I'll just put a random site quote out on Twitter, and I'll be like, nobody is going to get this. 
Well, but and that's what, why I tweeted you to say, you've heard about Pluto. It's messed up, Yeah, right? I've heard about Pluto, one of my favorite things ever. I say that. And, like, come on, son. My come on, son comes specifically from Gus. Yeah. You know that. And, uh, you know, that's right. Suck it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and this is how I deal with Twitter trolls. Like, I just want to send them, like, gifs of this, you know, like, suck it. And I don't, I'm like, I don't know if they'll get it. I don't know if they're bright enough. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, so before I let you go, though, I know that you have revamped your website and you've got a new swanky name and stuff. I've so got, yeah, I've actually I started. I've got two blogs now, and um, I've sort of been giving more attention to the new blog. And this week is actually the first time that I've had something. I'm, I'm posting something. Every day of the week, well, Monday through Friday, um, and and basically what I've been trying, what I w- I tried to get in the habit with um, my goblin goblin cartoons blog that I've mentioned before on the show, um, which is my uh, poetry and and fiction, and I was trying to post every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I don't write enough to actually do that, but I try to keep it, and I generally, if I post something, it's going to be on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. So I decided that this new blog would be Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I've actually had something posted, like Monday, um, a poem went up, or a very short story went up on Goblin Cartoons. Um, And unfortunately, it was timed really badly because it was a story that was basically about me going in a bookstore and seeing a really cute girl and thinking, wow, she's really cute and, like, but I don't know her at all, and that's my problem. And it happened to come out the same day that all the news about um, Brock Turner getting an a insultingly short sentence for rape. Um, and right. so, like, I was so angry about that, and everybody was posting about that, that I felt really uncomfortable, like, sending out more, like, links going, hey, by the way, I wrote the story about me seeing this random woman and thinking she's yeah. really hot. Um, yeah, that is, it's, it, yeah, it's definitely difficult. And, I understand where it comes yeah, from. It just, I'm like, oh, God, I timed this so badly. Um, and then, so, Monday, short, short story. Tuesday, blog post about uh, mental, physical health. When, uh, Wednesday poem today blog post about ADHD and panic attacks and tomorrow I've got another poem that's set to come up so yeah I'm kind of really pushing myself to write more uh, that's good I'm proud of you well thank you proud. so what's what's the name of the new site um, it is uh, as a I guess a contrast to Goblin cartoons it's Mercurial Comics um, and it's actually uh, www Mercurial, M-E-R-C-U-R-I-A-L dash comics dot com. Um, but you don't draw comics. I, I don't. When I was a kid, again, going to, I guess, Silly Dreams, when I was a kid, one of the things I really, really wanted to be was a comic book artist and writer. Oh, me too. I wanted to draw, like, newspaper comics. I, I went through different phases of, I think it went... I wanted to do superhero comics. Then I went, like, around middle school, I wanted to be a newspaper cartoonist and do comic strips. And then in high school, I moved back to superhero comics. 
And that's when um, my dad's constant pushing at me to, well, if you really want to be a serious artist, you have to do this, 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 and this. So I bought you this book of anatomy, and you need to draw from it all the time. And by the way, um, you know, realistically, it's really hard to make a living at this, and you're going to have to do this. And it killed so much of my interest in doing it that I stopped drawing. See, that was me telling myself that. I was like, I was like, artists can't make money. What do you think? You think cartoonists can make money? Like, you know. Yeah, I was really sorry. I like, also, I'm not going to be the next Jim Davis. In, like, in that elementary was, you know, school, I also wanted to be um, an animator, but I wanted to be an animator in the 1930s and 40s. Like, yeah, like every one of my dreams was, you know, like I talked myself out of. Like, I even, you know, re- considered law school briefly not that I could ever get in or afford it because I couldn't but um but it was just I had a real interest in it and uh, you know somebody like a professor said something like oh lawyers are a dime a dozen and I was like and it just like that's all it took I was like guess I'm not doing that Oh, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like you don't they I don't know. I guess some people don't realize that they're their influence I, like the well she, she probably doesn't remember that moment like why would she remember in all of her life why would she remember that moment that she said that to me right but but you, you know yeah i remember. think it is sort of it's it's worth thinking about like the stuff you say to people does have ramifications um and um i think in a blog post that i had posted recently talking about um how i kind of let other people particularly my dad talk me out of trying to be a full-time writer um, or even a writer-artist um, that uh, Will Wheaton on his blog at one point talked about meeting um, the writer David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles at, like, a stupidly young age. And Will said, you know, how did you have, like, the, the guts to do that? And he said, no one ever told me I couldn't do it. And I'm like, hmm. That makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference because I totally had people telling me that I couldn't do it. Or tell it, or tell you that you can do something. Right. Like, I never really had that either. Like, I never, I never had encouragement. It was like, it was like, oh, you want to do that? Go ahead. You know, like right. it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't. Wow, you're really good at that. You know. Right. Like, never. Um, yeah, I, I did. I actually still distinctly remember. Um, I think it's, I was a sophomore in high school and I was in study hall and there were kids who like had their heads down on the desk sleeping or were just like, I don't know, reading heavy metal magazines or whatever. And I was practicing cartooning and the study hall teacher came down and told me I should stop doing that because it was a waste of time and I should do something more productive. Like sleeping. Right. Like apparently sleeping is more productive than cartooning, and I was just like, oh my god, are you kidding me with the... Um, yeah. yeah, it was... And, and that was definitely something that, that didn't discourage me, but there was... There were... When people that you respect and that you sort of implicitly trust tell you, um, well, you can do it, but it's going to be really hard, or you can't at all do it, it, it really does have a pretty profound effect on you. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, um, like my mother never encouraged writing or anything when I was young, but one of like her dream, like we talked about, you know, silly dreams, like being in a doo-wop band. One of her dreams was to have either a bookstore or a Hallmark card store. 
and um and I love those ideas mm-hmm. too. So uh, it was one of those things where we're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could have a bookstore and run it together? So sort of, you know, at least, you know, tangent to my dream of being a writer. But um, at this, it's funny, like I've, my mother has read two books that I've written and will never read another one because she says that there's too much me in them. <laughs> and like, wow. Of course there is. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, of course there is. I'm like, every one of my characters, including the, you know, Asian ones, uh, you know, like, right. like the, every single one of the characters is me. Like, there's sure. no doubt about it. I mean, when you're writing, like, I think like the angry ex-husband is me, too. Fragment of your own psyche. Oh, absolutely. And even like, really, facing the characters on, like, real people that you know, it's filtered through your perception. So, of course, it's going to be... Yeah. So if people are reading, you know, like if if anybody picks up cardiac arrest and is and is wondering what I'm talking about, the main character somewhat looks like me, um, but she's thinner and prettier, um, and but similar career path and stuff like that. And so you know, white sandy hair. Her best friend is is an Asian woman, and but her husband is a, an African American man who's like you know really hunky. Um, but he just like has a desk job. I just like envision him really hunky. I don't know why. Uh, I think it's because at, at the time that I wrote the first book, I was watching, I was marathoning Criminal Minds, and I was watching Shamar Moore mm-hmm. a lot on the screen, and I was like, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I, I, he, he is not a difficult person to watch. Yeah, very easy to watch. So, <laughs> um, so that's why I made him. You know, kind of in my mind, that that was sort of what I envisioned the, the husband character, and. Um, but personality-wise, every one of those characters is like all me. Mm-hmm. Like their emotional baggage, their their you know good moments, their bad moments. It's all me. Yeah. So apparently, it was very transparent to my mother, who obviously has you know been around me for forty plus years, and she's like, no, it's too much. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it wasn't. It's not that she's discouraging me from writing she just doesn't want to be part of it she yeah like yeah so don't expect her at a book signing or anything (laughs) (laughs) Um, unless I'm really really famous and then I would dress her up you know like um, Susan Sullivan from Castle be like mom let's get you fancy dress and pearls then I would totally do that then I would make her come to my signings Um, so anyway so I've rambled a bit um but, as we always do whenever you and I do this. As we always do, but it's one of the greatest things ever. Um, and Gus is here. I'm so happy my little Guster is here. Aww. I um, love seeing pictures of him. Yeah. As, so as there's a gonna, fan of Black Cats. As a fan of Black Cats, Oberon. You'll have to send me a picture of Oberon to post. Yes. Um, and the show notes will have, like I said, lots of quotes, lots of gifs, because goodness knows my hard drive is filled with them. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad that there's psych gifs out there. So but um, the number of you. times I've used a gif of Gus saying, damn girl, um, <laughs> is yeah. kind of absurd. Yes. Yeah. And, and I approve. I approve of that message. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you remotely to J.K. Woodward from the West Coast. Yes. Thank you. I've his, never met you, but thank you, J.K. His participation. He does podcasts too, so go uh, listen to that and and check that out. He's always, he's kind of everywhere. So, um, and you know, does things like 
draws Star Trek comics and um, everything else. He does some independent creator-owned comics too. So um, definitely, you know, he if you love us nerding out, Josh and I nerding out about this kind of stuff, then uh, you'll want to check out J.K. Woodward's work as well. Um, but otherwise, let's see. Uh, I guess I guess we'll wrap it up and we'll save some things for the internet, and yeah. then um, we will. Uh, we've been talking about doing another episode like this and talking about leverage, which oh yes is just you know we might be able to get Natalie on the show. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And, uh, and I think that that's going to have to be a plan because any excuse that I can have, I've been. I, in fact, I watched like five episodes of it today in the background. Um, any excuse that I can watch my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. It's great. So I consider it research if we're going to podcast and about it. And it's appropriate because apparently there was talk of having Sean Spencer and Elliot Spencer on Leverage be related and have the shows sort of not necessarily cross over but be connected. Um, Do not fuck with me. No, I'm not kidding. Like um, at least I, I've read that on TV Tropes. Okay. Um, and they said that there was talk, but eventually, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And then, um, but I think maybe as a tribute to that, there's an episode of Leverage where they name drop Psych. Um, I can't remember exactly where. I think it's maybe like um, it's on uh, Nate's DVR or something, like Nate DVR's Psych or something like that. But it, get, it gets oh. a mention. Um, but. Yeah, it just just the fact that it just happened that Henry and Sean Spencer have the same last name as Elliot Spencer. There was talk of maybe having them related. I think. Yeah, it, it's, that'll be. We will have a grand old time doing that, and um, and also like uh, you know, like one of the creators, John Rogers, uh, uh, Steve Franks, who created Psych, is unfortunately I've never found on Twitter, but um, John Rogers from Leverage is on Twitter and he's a big old nerd and comic book guy and stuff like that. So uh, you can look him up and follow him. You'll probably enjoy his feed too. In fact, actually I'm going to say now that you mentioned it, if they said on TV tropes that there was talk about it, I would take it as gospel because John Rogers is um, a regular TV tropes. Um, he reads TV tropes. Uh, okay. He, he said before that a, a, a trope is, is just a tool to use. Uh, it is, a, and I, I fully agree yeah, with that, yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of tropes when they're used well. Uh, yeah. My, my book has lots of tropes in it. I actually will often make a list of, if I'm about to start a writing project, here's some of the tropes that I want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and here are some that I might want to subvert, and here are some that I absolutely like. Like, let's just use this straight on earnestly. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. And um, you are on Twitter. Um, you're, what are you on Twitter? Josh Neff? Or Josh, uh, Josh, you... Joshua M. Neff. Joshua M. Neff. I'm Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. Everything else is at amberunmasked.com. That's where you can find the show notes for all this. You can sponsor us at uh, patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And um, Guster here is telling me to get off the air right now because he was about to chew through my headset. So That's a pretty uh, clear sign. That's the cat way of saying wrap this up. Yeah, like, Mom, you've been on over an hour. Let's go. So, all right. 
Thank you for listening, everyone. And don't forget to give us your feedback. Let us know. Tweet to us or, you know, add comments in the show notes and stuff. And let us know what your favorite psych moments are. We want to know. Or even just tweet, you know. Tweet us some gems. We will love it. Go ahead. Randomly. Like, don't even catch. (laughs) No warning whatsoever. Just. (laughs) Just do it. 